I have two cups of coffee here this morning, not because I am extra sleepy. I have two cups of coffee here this morning because there are so many people in this congregation who take care of me. Okay, so I just I want to I want to you you know who you are. I was in I was in the adult Sunday school class and my my voice was giving way. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Pastor Bruno and I are going to be teaching. Uh, the adult Sunday school class this whole year. Okay, so some of you have been slacking off on adult Sunday school. We will know whether or not you went to Sunday school. Okay, and we keep a list. Okay, uh, we don't actually. But uh, um, so uh, this year we're going to be preaching through the book of Revelation. The, the book of Revelation is uh, more complicated than other things. And so we need uh, an extra amount of time that we can spend together talking about some of the background issues. And so that's what we're going to be uh, working on uh, in the adult Sunday school class. Um, and so, oh, and the other thing is, is that today's class, the one that those of you who missed, missed, would have helped with this sermon, okay? So those who, those who were not there will be at a deficit this morning, all right? So next week, you want to, want to come to that class before you get into the worship service. Uh, Pastor Bruno and I, by the way, will be preaching on the same schedule uh, this whole year as well, and we will be switching pulpits uh, this year. So this morning, I preached in the early service. Um, we ran a little bit late, um, uh, but I think next Sunday, you're preaching... In the late service, okay? And, and so that will allow us uh, to do a number of things. One of the things it's going to do is it's going to have us as a church, as a whole church, thinking together. But the other thing that it's going to allow us to do, Pastor Bruno and I, is to get a Fellowship Presbyterian Church started, okay? So um, this is the bulletin from tonight's service. Uh, we'll be meeting at Grace Bible Church. Uh, in Phoenixville, you're welcome to come. To, I will be preaching. The preaching will be in English. Uh, uh, Pastor Bruno will uh, lead us in communion. There will be refreshments afterward. Um, this is going to be the first meeting of this church plant. Now, we this is actually the third anniversary of the Brazilian congregation entering uh, into worship here. Okay, and we've been in a process getting uh, this new church ready to, to, to launch, and, and we decided that the place for the launch was not Northeast Philadelphia, because the people who live in Northeast Philadelphia, this is close enough. But we've got people coming in from Phoenixville and Collegeville, that's 40 minutes or more on a Sunday morning, and so we're going to start the, the next church out there, okay? Uh, and, and so I want, I want to invite you to be there. Um, I think we're going to have a pretty a good crowd uh, this evening. This church here that we're standing in uh, this morning uh, started with a, uh, a prayer meeting. There was a woman who lived up the pike. Her name was Elizabeth Snowden. And she was the sister of the village doctor. And there was a revival going on in Philadelphia, and a spark of that revival landed here in Huntington Valley. I mean, Huntington Valley was only 150 people at that time. It was just, it was nowhere, right? I mean, we had the road, so you could get to Philadelphia if you needed to be with other people. But there, there, this woman started a, started a prayer meeting 
uh, in the schoolhouse up the street. Uh, and that was in uh, 1858. <coughs> and out of that, let's see, which one should I drink? <laughs> which one's more sanctified? <laughs> that, the second one. The second one was better. Um, <coughs> um, out of that meeting grew this church. And that process of going from uh, essentially a home church into an organized Presbyterian congregation uh, is the same as the process that's going on with Fellowship Presbyterian Church. It used to be called El Shaddai Church. It started in someone's home in Northeast Philadelphia. A woman named Maria Leza called friends together. Uh, they didn't have a church home. They prayed. They began to meet. It developed uh, into uh, this congregation that's forming now. And they called Pastor Bruno specifically to help lead them in an organized direction. Okay. I think we sometimes are not aware of the blessings of being Presbyterians. Look, any guy can rent a storefront and open something called a church. And he can own it. And all the money that goes through the collection plate can be his money. Alright? One of the things that we do as Presbyterians is we don't run a church as a business. Alright? And so this process of going from an unorganized church to being an organized church is the process of creating oversight... Uh, create, uh, uh, creating accountability. Uh, pastor Bruno is not a pastor because he just stood up one day and said, you know, I'm anointed of the Lord and I'm going to call myself Apostle uh, Bruno or Bishop Bruno. One guy now is calling himself Cardinal. Okay, I'm, I'm waiting for a storefront pope. Okay, it's going to happen. One of these days, they won't be good enough to be a bishop anymore. You're going to have to be the pope. Bruno is ordained to this position because many, many people have spoken into his life and have examined him, okay? So he was examined uh, by a presbytery in Brazil. Uh, he was ordained within the Presbyterian Church of Brazil. When he came to the United States, more than 200 people examined him, okay? We watched him here uh, with our session. The session had to endorse him. All right. He had to stand before uh, a group of his other pastors and be examined on whatever. He did better than I did. He got a, he got a better vote uh, in Presbytery than I got. Okay. He's more Presbyterian than I am. All right. he, he just is. I don't know what to say. Um, and I think you, you need to understand that this creates a kind of reliability and accountability uh, that we should not take for granted. Okay? It's one of the reasons that this church is still here 163 years later. Okay? There are churches that pop up under the influence of a big personality. And when that big personality goes away, okay, because it wasn't a work of the Lord, it was a work of a man. And we need to be really careful about that. Alright? And so Pastor Bruno and I, we work for you. This church is ruled by the session, and you have elected those elders uh, to rule on your behalf. Who owns this church? Bruno and I don't have the, the title to this church. You own this church. If you're a member of this church, you are a shareholder in the corporation called Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. All right? If you wanted to, at the next congregational meeting, you can liquidate the corporation and divide up the assets. That would, that would be legally possible. All right, we would be out of a job, so we would be sad about that, but, but it would, you could do it. All right? So you own the church, you elect your representatives, 
and your pastors have accountability with you, with your session, and at the presbytery level. We are examined. Our books are examined. All right. I'm happy to report that we have ended the year in the black. We came out where we needed to come out. But every penny that's spent in this church is accounted for. That money that lands in that plate there, uh, the, the financial treasurer, that's all accounted for. Your, your giving is accounted for. Every dime that is spent is accounted for. And every year, a, 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 a committee of people who are part of the church, who are members of the church, who are not, who are not me, not Bruno, go over the books, and they check. You know, are people spending money on something they shouldn't be spending money on? Okay? Is the, is the pastor buying himself a car with church money? All right? This stuff happens in other churches. All right? So I think we need to honor and recognize uh, the stability and the tradition that we have as Presbyterians. It makes us uh, uh, more accountable to our people and more accountable to God. This evening at 6 o'clock, the seeds of a new church are beginning to germinate. I mean, the work has been going on for 10 years now, uh, but they're now meeting in their, in their own place. We, uh, we have another a Bible-believing church out there that's agreed to uh, lend us space for, for a time. And we'll see what happens. Over the course of the next several years, we're going to try to grow that congregation to where it can launch off and, and be a freestanding church. At this point, Fellowship Presbyterian Church is a ministry of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church and remains under the authority of our session. But the time will come, you know, like teenagers leaving home. It's, it's, they're going to they're, they're gonna launch, all right? And it'll be a new work. This church here started as a house church in 1858. It took three years, 1861, before we were finally launched. Abington Presbyterian Church had us under their wings that whole time. We were under the authority of Abington Presbyterian Church. And so now we're doing that same thing for that next generation of new churches that is coming up. Why is it important to plant new churches? Well, I don't know the reason why this is the case, but I know it is the case. Studies show that new churches are more likely to have converts than old churches, okay? There's something about the dynamic of a new church where there are more people coming into the church for the first time and being born again. Existing churches, if you have a well-run church, you know, we might steal some people from that church and that church. It's a, lot of, a lot of sheep stealing goes on in churches, all right? What we're interested in is not stealing sheep, but getting new sheep into the fold, okay? We, we, need, we want new converts to Jesus Christ, and that most often happens in new church plants. I don't know why, it just is a fact. And so that's why, as a denomination, we have been committed to church planting. Every church within the Evangelical Presbyterian Church has committed either to being the sponsor of a church, the supporter of a church, or to be a new church plant itself. Okay. So, so we're, we're at actually a very high level of, of our engagement in this work of the Presbytery. Other churches in the Presbytery are helping us with this thing. Um, and uh, if you guys are, if you have that, uh, that, what is that, that fear of missing out? If, what's it called? FOMO. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. I was thinking YOLO. That's not right either. FOMO. Fear of missing out. 
If you don't go to this service tonight, Monday, you're going to be kicking yourself. Oh, I could have been at the inaugural service of Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right? You don't want to miss out. I guess I need to read my scripture now. Second reading. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through, uh, through verses one through 6. Hear the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits that are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. To him who loves us be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I guess the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verse is, one, about the love of God, and two, about the son who was given as an act of God's love. How do we know that God loves us? Well, he gave his son to us. And what does it mean that when God gives his son to us? It means that Jesus left the security and the comfort of heaven, that Jesus humbled himself to become an ordinary, weak human being, that he suffered the same things that we suffer, and that he taught the good news about the kingdom of God, and he healed people, and when he did it, he was mocked, and he was scorned, and he was abused, and finally he was executed like a common criminal. The theological term for all of this is the humiliation of Christ. You know, of course, that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is powerful and glorious. And yet, for him to save us, God had to give him to us. Which means that he had to leave the glory of heaven and enter our filthy, fallen world. He went from a palace to a pigsty. He went from clouds of glory to the old rugged cross. That's what it means when the Bible says that God gave us his, oops, this is a good one, his son. This morning we begin a new sermon series. Between now and December, Pastor Bruno and I will preach through the whole book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John, and we need to call the Apostle John the Apostle of Love. John wrote five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. 
He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. In John's Gospel, he talks about love more than all of the other Gospels combined. John mentions love 39 times in his Gospel, while the other three Gospel writers together only mention love 27 times. John is the Apostle of Love. 1st John which was a letter that the Apostle wrote to several churches that he ruled over. John was a kind of a bishop. This letter is the most love-focused of all of the books of the Bible. This is where we hear, for example, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then we come to the book of Revelation, which is also about the love of God. The last passage we read this morning, the second part of verse 5 plus all of verse 6, is what is known as a doxology. There are a whole bunch of doxologies in the book of Revelation. A doxology is a little song of praise. The one that we read this morning is a song of praise to Jesus, and it goes this way. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What's the very first thing that this song of praise says about Jesus? That he loves us. And what does it mean to say that Jesus loves us? Richard D. Phillips, whose commentary I am using uh, in developing these sermons, points out, quote, In all of his writings, the Apostle John never mentions the love of God without immediately presenting the death of Jesus for our sins. The love of Christ means the death of Jesus. Okay? Every time you hear, God loves me, you have to think, oh, Jesus died for me. Every single time that John mentions the love of God, he immediately goes to the death of Christ. The night before he was executed, the night of the Last Supper, Jesus had a lot of things to say to his disciples, and the Apostle John was right there. One of the things that Jesus said to his disciples was, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, of course, was talking about himself. He was just hours away from his own execution. He knew that he would die. And, of course, the disciples, they don't know. They don't understand. They're not going to understand until later. Listen to the doxology again. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. When Charles Wesley meditated on this truth, he wrote, amazing love. How, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? The love of God is not a bunch of roses and candy hearts. The love of God is the death of Christ. How do we wrap our minds around that? 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood. When John says that Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood, what he means is that the death of Christ releases us from the threat of the wrath of God that is directed toward every unrepentant sinner. This is how it works. All of us sin, and because we sin, we have earned the wrath of God. God told us in his law that if we sin, we're going to be punished, and that that punishment's going to be death. But because God loves us and doesn't want us to die, God gave his only son to atone for our sin by dying on a cross for us. The death of Jesus pays the penalty for our guilt. Jesus is our substitute. We owed a sacrifice to God because of our sin, but Jesus makes the sacrifice for us. And that sacrifice had to be his own body and his own blood, which is what we commemorate here in the Lord's Supper. The sin is ours, but the blood that paid for our sin is the blood of Christ. That's what it means to be saved. If we are saved, Christ stood in and was our replacement. His death atoned for our sin. The punishment he received was the punishment that we deserve. By his stripes, we are healed. The only way to inherit eternal life is for God to lay his life on the line so that we could be saved. And when you begin to realize this, whether you're the Apostle John or whether you're the hymn writer Charles Wesley, when you realize this truth, you, you break out into a song. Because this love that God has for us is just crazy. It's hard to believe. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies, for people who were not lovable. He loved us before we were lovable. And he died for us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom. Let's talk about the kingdom for a minute. By his death, Jesus frees us from our sins. That means he washes away our wickedness so that we don't need to be afraid of the wrath of God. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus also takes us from being sinners who were strangers to God, who did not belong in the kingdom of God, and he made us citizens of the kingdom of God. We Christians, all together form a spiritual kingdom, and Jesus is our king. The kingdom of God does not belong to this world. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We live in this world, but we don't belong to this world, and we should not love the things that this world loves. Our situation as Christians waiting for Christ to return is similar to the situation of the Jews who were living in Babylon. For 70 years, Daniel and many other Jews lived in Babylon, but they knew that Babylon was not their home. They were citizens of a different kingdom. They were citizens of Israel, and they were waiting for a redeemer to take them back to where they belong. And so as long as we are here on this earth, we are waiting for Christ to return, and we live within institutions that God has Created that represent the kingdom of God on this earth. And those institutions are the Christian family and the Christian church. When we invest in our church and when we invest in our families, we are laying up 
treasures in heaven. If we believe, if we invest in a Bible-believing church, if we invest in our Christian families, our investment will always pay dividends. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. I don't know, do you think of yourself as a priest? does, the first thing that a priest does is that the priest offers worship to God. They worship God according to the word of God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through Jesus, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's what we do here every Sunday morning in worship. That's why we gather for worship. This meeting that we're having in this room is not actually about us. This meeting here is about God, about speaking words of honor to God and singing the praise of God because God deserves that. Heaven itself is full of the worship of God. And we get a little foretaste of heaven as we gather and worship each Sunday morning. But it's not just on Sunday morning that we offer God our worship. We do it throughout the rest of our lives as we live in a manner conforming to Christ's law of love. Hebrews 13, 16 reads this way. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We can ask ourselves, did I please God this past week? Did I do good that pleased the heart of God? Did I share what I had with other people in a way that pleased the heart of God? I mean, it would be terrible if we gathered here on a Sunday morning, you know, and sang praises to Jesus, and then the rest of the week lived in a way that was dishonoring to God. We honor God in our worship on a Sunday morning, but we honor God with the way that we live in the course of the week. And so as priests of God, we offer worship to God. We do it on Sunday, and we do it throughout the week by our actions and by our generosity. Bruno, you may have to preach this evening. Second, priests tell the world about God's grace. The Apostle Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a historic day in the life of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. This is the first time in 163 years that we are planting a daughter church in Phoenixville, Pastor Bruno and I will lead this first service of worship. Uh, we will be meeting in a borrowed space. We're not going to have any fancy equipment. We're going to be tired because we'll have had a long day here in Huntington Valley. But we're going to do this because we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Amen. Both Bruno and I were in darkness. And then God called us out of that put us in the light. And so we have to tell other people about this. This is about evangelism. God is the one who called us out of darkness 
into the light. And so if we are going to be successful evangelists, we need to tell the story of how we were in darkness. Then we met Jesus. And then he pulled us into the light. The contrast between the darkness before Jesus and the light after Jesus helps people who are listening understand what a difference Jesus makes. The gospel is not about us. The gospel is about what God did to us and for us. And so, if we are proclaiming the gospel, we're drawing attention to the work of God. Peter says to the church that it is a bunch of priests who proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. If we have been born again, then there has been a change in our lives. Yes, our sins are washed away. We no longer fear the wrath of God. But we also begin to live in a better way. And we do this not because we're good people, but because God pulls us into the light of his word. And the light that we start uh, in bringing into our lives begins to affect how we live. Everything that we do at work and, oh, see, just keep multiplying, keep multiplying. There was a fellow who preached in this church. I won't mention his name because I want to speak well of the dead. Um, <laughs> he wasn't a pastor. He was a guest. He was a guest preacher. He always had brandy up here. <laughs> you know, like, like coats the throat. Right? <laughs> it's not very soothing. So if anyone wants to bring me brandy, I won't turn it down. Okay. Uh, where were we? Everything that we do. At work and at home and at play, everything that we do is an offering to God. Any time that we make a decision about what we're doing, like say at work with a customer or at home with our spouse or with ourselves when we're just you know, goofing off, any time that we make a decision about what we're doing, we can say, is this acceptable to God? And I think we know the answer each and every time. And if we do what's acceptable to God in our professions and in our families and in our private lives, our lives will be a living sacrifice to God. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that's okay for you because you know, you're a pastor, or that's okay for, for Bruno because he's ordained. You know, I'm just a regular guy. I'm a rank-and-file Christian. But as Protestants, we do believe and affirm in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that every single Christian is a priest who brings worship to God, and that includes all of us here in this room. When we gather here for worship uh, on a Sunday morning, all of us together are joining our, our voices to spring praises to God. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is a doxology. This is a little song of praise to Jesus. And as we close this sermon and prepare for communion, I want you to notice the last word of the doxology. Amen. Now that's a church word. And I know that sometimes we don't know what we're saying when we're saying church words. It's actually Hebrew. And it means something like, yes. It means, that's right. 
It means you speak the truth. It means I agree, and that's what I want. It means let it be the way that you say it is. You remember when the angel spoke to Mary and told her the news that she would be pregnant with a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Mary said, how is this possible? And the angel explains it to Mary. And Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the amen. Let it be to me according to your word. And so my question is this. As we hear this doxology, to him who loves us, to him who has freed us from our sins, to him who has made us to be a kingdom, to him who has made us to be priests, can we say amen? He loves me. Amen. He freed me from my sin. Amen. He made me part of the kingdom of God. Amen. He made me to be a priest to serve God with my whole life. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you deserve all glory and honor and praise. You are the King of kings. You are our Redeemer. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You are the one who loved us before we were lovable. You are the one who loved us by laying down your own life. We ask that you would receive this worship from us today. We pray this in your precious name.